The penultimate episode of season one is called The Green Council, because that's who seized power in the wake of the king's death. But it's the woman excluded from their secret gatherings ahead of it all who takes charge. Allison is in by far the most scenes of any character this episode, one that combines a number of exceptional one-on-one character interactions with tension and surprises. Queen. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Allison's presence in the intro sequence is notable as well as we get a clean shot of her four children and three grandchildren. That's right, four children and three grandchildren. One of her sons, Daron, is in Old Town with his dragon, Tessarion. All three of her grandkids come from the marriage of Aegon to Helena. We see the twins, Jaehaerys and Jaehaerys, in this episode. One would guess these twins are destined for marriage, as after today's coronation, they'd be next in line. But we learn during the episode what many have suspected for a while. Aegon has bastard children out there in King's Landing and perhaps elsewhere. So Allison may have a few more grandkids she doesn't know about. She also has spies in her own household, which she does now know about, though apparently there are so many she doesn't know all their names. Allison learns this through the tried and true method of trading feet for secrets. One of those named as a spy is Allison's maid Talia. It bears mention that Lord Laris may have tortured the information out of her, or at least threatened to, as well as the information that her employer is the White Worm. Later, we see one of Laris's agents committing another round of arson like he did at Harrenhal, apparently this time one of the White Worm's establishments, probably the same place we see her meet with Otto. A young boy is the first character we see this episode, and we see him leaving Viserys' bedroom, where he goes straight to Talia to tell her that the king is dead. Talia wakes the queen to inform her who grieves briefly before telling Talia to keep quiet. In fact, all the castle servants are rounded up and put in cells, which is why Laris had access to them. But first, Talia places a candelabra with seven candles in the window, clearly a prearranged signal to the white worm. We see the servants rounded up through Rhaenys' eyes. as She watches them herded up from her interior balcony. She's already been locked up herself, but in her chambers instead of some cell. Too bad Rhaenys doesn't seem to know about the Red Keep's many secret passageways, but it turns out she doesn't need them. And if she had used them, we might not have gotten the excellent scene between her and Allison. The queen asks the queen who never was to back her side, citing that Rhaenyra's side is responsible for the deaths of her children and harmful ambitions of her husband, among other things. She wants to overwhelm Rhaenyra to show her that the green faction is too powerful to even challenge in the first place, to stop the thought of war before it begins. She's moving quickly, as she had just learned her father and the rest of the small council, most of them anyway, had been planning in secret to usurp the throne for her son. When they met to announce Viserys' death, they referred to their advanced preparations. Otto informs them, as Allison informed him, that Viserys' dying wish was for Aegon to take the throne. This only emboldens the plotters, of course, but Allison angrily points out the massive flaw in their plan that while, yes, the king wanted Aegon on the throne, he certainly didn't want his own daughter murdered in the process, let alone his brother and their children. Lord Beesbury is even angrier and calls it treason. Clearly, he was not involved in the plans ahead of time, nor was Lord Commander Westerling. Kristen tries to put Beesbury back in his seat and manages to kill him. Those council balls are more dangerous than we thought. When Otto orders Westerling to take the Kingsguard to slaughter Rhaenyra and her family, he refuses, resigning his position rather than accept the order. Allison seizes this opportunity to regain the initiative, part by naming Cole Lord Commander in place of Westerling. Back in A Game of Thrones, Renly told Ned that he who controls the king controls the kingdom. 
In this episode, it's a variation on that of sorts, where he or she who controls the king controls the coronation. If she can get to her son first, she can control the timing of the coronation and the negotiations with Rhaenyra. If not, Otto and the council might delay the announcement of the coronation in order to follow through on their plans of assassination before the element of surprise is lost. As Otto sends out the twin king's guards, Sir Eric and Sir Arik, to find Aegon, Alicent sends Sir Criston and Prince Aemon to do the same. Helena repeats her prophetic warning, Beware the beast beneath the boards. Sir Eric has been Aegon's personal Kingsguard for years now and has seen how terrible the prince is. He uses this time out in the streets to convince his brother of that, but it doesn't seem to work, even as astonishing further evidence mounts. For example, Aegon seems to prefer spending time in underground fighting pits where children with filed teeth are enslaved like gladiators, but treated worse than abused animals. And apparently he's had children with women in these establishments, with the suggestion that his own bastards could end up in these fights. An agent of the White Worm offers to lead them to Aegon, but only if they arrange a face-to-face meeting with the Hand. Otto has worked with Mazaria before and is desperate to find Aegon first, so he shows up quickly for the meeting. She immediately stuns him by offering condolences for the king's passing. She's not supposed to know that, but we saw why she does. So when she reminds Otto that she could have just as easily killed Prince Aegon as saved him, he knows to take it seriously. She accepts a sack of money, but also demands he put a stop to the use of children in these fighting pits that the crown has been turning a blind eye to. The twins head off to the Grand Sept, where Aegon is found hiding under an altar that might be the same one Alicent and Rhaenyra prayed on when Emma died. But outside waiting for them is Sir Criston and Aemond, who capture the twins' prize, even though only Eric wants to fight for it. Eric is done. Aegon tells his brother to let him go, and Aemon is tempted, as he had earlier expressed to Cole that he believes himself a superior choice for the throne, but he and Cole deliver Aegon back to the queen. Otto concedes to his daughter that she outplayed him, but reminds her that they're on the same side. She kind of unloads on him like how Viserys did in episode 4, but with a lot more anger, like when the king told him he could no longer trust Otto. She utters perhaps the line of the episode, a reluctance to murder is not weakness. Like Viserys, Alicent has come to realize just how manipulative her father has been all these years and informs him how the coronation will play out with no discussion. Still, he's mostly getting what he wanted anyway. He speaks to Laris and brings up his relationship to Alicent, to which Lord Strong offers the hand the benefit of that relationship. It's kind of a bribe and a deflection about what's really going on there. Before the public coronation, Otto rounds up the nearby nobles who supported Rhaenyra and commands them to bend the knee to Aegon. A few refuse and are presumably sent to the Black Cells. Lord Caswell, who had previously shown allegiance to Rhaenyra, bends the knee so that he can sneak away later, but Lord Laris catches on to this and he's hanged for treason. The body is seen by Rhaenys, who is freed from her room by Sir Eric. Though she wants to go to the dragon pit, he tries to lead her to the dock, saying they'll be expecting her there. He seems unaware that the coronation will take place at the dragon pit, and ironically, they are separated by the surging crowds toward the dragon pit. The crowds don't know yet why they're being herded, but Rhaenys does, and she smiles as she realizes that this will give her the perfect opportunity to reunite with her dragon. As the crowds continue to surge, Queen and Son ride in a carriage to the site. Aegon states that his father didn't like him, and when he asks his mother if she loves him, she calls him an imbecile. He remains reluctant even as the ceremony begins, especially as the crowd seems pretty unresponsive at first. Even as the crown of Aegon the Conqueror is placed on his head, he's still moving slowly, But it all turns around for him suddenly. The lack of love from his family left a void in this man, and it's suddenly filled by the love of a huge cheering crowd. Aegon seems to realize maybe he wants it after all. It starts slowly at first, 
but becomes complete and thorough as he's pumping his fist with Blackfire like a rock star by the end. The dragon pit was his arena. The crowd was really into it. Until the very ground opened up beneath him to reveal, at last, the beast beneath the boards. A brief moment of chaos and dust ensues. Melis, called the Red Queen, ridden by the queen who never was, declines to incinerate the green faction. Maybe that'll be a mistake, but perhaps she thought mercy and peace were still possible. Perhaps she's simply on no one's side at this point. Perhaps she simply doesn't want to be a several times over Kinslayer. There were innocents on stage as well. All this could hang over her descendants for generations. Regardless, that's where it ends, with Melis flying off. Not only was this episode an amazing combination of fast and slow-paced scenes, it was a departure from previous episodes in that it had no Rhaenyra or Daemon, let alone their family, but we're sure to see them react to all this next time. Join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a much more in-depth review of each episode, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Dunkin' Egg, and everything else Westeros, Essos, and beyond, past, present, and future.